I stopped locking your ass alone when you got on that bitch and started crying, you fucking soft ass nigga. Shut that soft ass shit up. All that soft talking. I know you can do it, man. You got the, you got the. Let's shut that soft ass shit up. Man. You ain't with me. Man! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Grab it again, hey, son. I, grab it again. Grab it again. We ain't even talking about now. What you talking about? How big you It's fat. Grab that. Allegedly said that you left him in a bloody poke. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. he was high. It said that uh, that was on his private jet or something like that. Yo. Whoa. Yeah, that was pretty serious. So we're into Olympic season, aren't we? And Team G are flying pretty well. Um, just found out Shivon Clark is out so I'm gutted that he never got to the quarters or never got the chance never got the chance to fight for a medal because his story is amazing it's not that long ago he was driving trucks for god's sake so you got to give him his give him his roses for what he's managed to achieve not many would have done that and I really hope he gets a good run in the pro game because I think he'll give a lot of people trouble in the sense of you know, he's really skillful obviously the GB setup has equipped him to be an elite athlete I just like, yeah, I'd like to see him have a run. I don't think we've we've seen the best of him as a human being and as a as a boxer. So hopefully, someone like Frank, Eddie, or the Skylock can give him a run. Just let's see how far he can go. I think age wise, he can't be that much behind guys like Chris Biddle Smith and Tommy McCarthy. So can we fast track him to, to sort of put him in the mix with those guys? I hope so. But we've got to look at the the shining stars of the GB team at the moment. Lauren Price looking incredible, looking like she's destined for a gold, but, you know, let's not count our chickens before they hatch. And Ben Whittaker. <laughs> Just looks impressive every time, doesn't he? Um, hopefully you guys are following Ben, as I've been saying for a while. Young Benzo has a long and a bright future in the sport. I was watching him against the Egyptian guy today, and remember, you're at an Olympic Games and you're able to to slip in, slip out, roll under. I mean, you you found exits in rooms that appeared locked. I mean, he, he's he's impressive. What I'd like to see, though, I think we'll get to this in the quarters, the semis, and the final, is him tough it out. You know, really start putting hurtful punches together. Really start imposing that dominance. So he's got two sides to him. He's got the silky kind of Cuban-esque skills, but Ben's also got that dog in him, and I'd like to see that because I think that's what's going to get fans excited. I think sometimes when, when you make it look easy, they just think you're flashing that, nah, we'll see when he gets tested. I'd like to see him just hunker down and go, okay, if we've got to blast it out, we'll blast it out. These medals mean everything to me. But now Ben's been good. And Karis has surprised me, actually. She's been really, really impressive. Um, I saw her in the world, and I know me and Jamie Ingleby went back and forth as to whether she got robbed, and I didn't think she did. I thought the young Philippine lady put her in her rightful place. But, wow, has she come back from that? Like, she's leaving nothing to chance in this one. Bit tighter in this fight, but I think that's the scare she needs to, to kick on. She's got her bronze medal now. Now she can just put it all on the line and go for that gold, and I don't think it's impossible for her. And if she does get that gold... Ooh, who do you put your money on? It, it, it's that classic one, isn't it? Of Do you then back Karis? Do you back Lauren? Who do you actually back? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, I think both are brilliant. And 
I think those three for me, Karis, Lauren Price, and Ben Whitaker have been the stars. You know, Pat McCormack's doing his thing, but it, it hasn't felt as spectacular. And I don't know if it's because I've been there before with Pat McCormack. And I think that's one of the problems that GB have at the moment. A lot of these guys have been in the system too long. That's what I'd say, too long. Pat's been in that system, what, since 2014, 2015? Fraser's been in that system since 2010. Think about that. So in that time, we haven't had a chance. We haven't given an incentive to young guys to come through. So when this Olympic cycle's over, the cupboard's pretty bare. That's the real problem. The cupboard is pretty bare because guys have just gone, well, I'm going to turn over. And that becomes the thing. Now Frank's got his additional six shows. What's the incentive to stick around for an Olympic Games in three years when you can be making money right now? So one of the wider issues, just in the fights I've seen, the judges are giving kind of like pro-style scoring, right? So the fights are ending 30, 27, 29, 28 or whatever. But the thing I find really bizarre is where we're not rewarding the same things we would reward in a pro fight. So body shots aren't getting the reward, it would seem. You know, things like ring generalship, being they don't seem to be getting rewarded. It seems that there are some guys that are still just re rewarding you based on volume of punches thrown and not rewarding intelligence and, you know, ability to go to the body and actual weight of shot. So we're getting muddled results, which I don't like because you might be rewarding people medal-wise who, who may not... A, deserve it, and B, won't cut it in the pros because some of these styles won't work in the pros. And that's my worry. So I look at kids like, and the Americans are looking good, aren't they? Um, you've got Duke Reagan, Troy Isley, and is it Delante Johnson? Ooh. And I think a few of those guys have benefited from having a few pro fights in the interim because they look good. And U.S. boxing looks good. I think Troy Isley looks good. Keyshawn Davis, have I mentioned as well? Jesus. We don't produce boxers like that in this country. And I don't, I think we're 20 years of producing boxers that rounded and that able, that able to cope with the pressures of being in the ring. So I've, re I've, I've enjoyed the Olympics so far. Um, India surprised me by doing well. Kazakhstan, shockingly not doing that well, despite the fact that it seems they've bought their rankings. So the Kazakh team's not doing that well. And I think it's, it's reflective of a similar problem facing Great Britain and some of the other countries. Once countries sussed out that if you just pay your boxers to be full-time, you get better results, the countries that could afford to do it just close the gap on people like Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, Uzbekistan, Great Britain, France, uh, Germany to an extent, Russia. I mean, the gap has closed between all of these nations now. And it's getting more competitive. We now just need that to happen in Africa. And then the Olympics will be truly exciting. But it's been a it's been a it's been a it's been a decent Olympics. My own my own personal opinion on the wider Olympic movement, I think it's lost its relevance. So I look back on 2012 as probably the high point of the Olympic movement. Because you had a country that's sports mad that actually delivers top-level sports people. We can complain that it's mostly in sports that require money, which is true. But we delivered a memorable occasion. We brought the world together. I know I've got friendships to this day that I made just milling around in the Olympic Village, milling around in East London, just being out during the Olympics, which is an amazing time. 
it doesn't feel like that now. And I don't know if it's down to the time zones. I don't know if it's down to, it feels over-commercialized. You're just putting sports in like skateboarding. I, I mean, they've got like 12-year-old skateboarding at the Olympics. Like, you can't be a 12-year-old gymnast, but you can be a 12-year-old skateboarder. So I don't understand what the age restrictions are when it comes to sport. It doesn't make sense anymore. You know, we talk about stuff like mental health. I want to come back to this. I don't know if I want like preteen kids knocking about at the biggest sporting event in the world. But then also, is it even the biggest sporting event anymore? I don't know. But I'm not that interested in it because it's just, it seems the Olympics this year is just to keep the sponsors happy. Empty arenas. It's not exciting. It's just, this has been a bad Olympics and I'm hoping that Paris can bring back the the fun, the passion, because I'm definitely putting money aside. I'd love to be able to take my family there. God willing, I end up with one. But yeah, we'd love to be able to go out there for the Olympics and spend some time. And I, I'd like to feel I'd have trained someone who would have qualified for the Olympics somewhere, somehow. So I can be there in the Olympic Village with the kids and hopefully inspire them. But no, it's been, it's been a good Olympics from a boxing perspective, just because we're seeing the culmination of five or six years of true and pure graft. But as an overall spectacle, this has been massively underwhelming. But I did smile when GB didn't win a medal in the sevens. But the story of the Olympics so far has been Simone Biles' withdrawal from the USA team event. And so I've wrestled with this. The sportsman in me was angry, you know, because we're taught you never leave your teammates no matter how bad you feel. I can remember playing rugby once and my shoulder had popped out. It went back in, but I couldn't use my left arm. And they're like, do you want to come off? And I was like, well, that would leave the team with 14. We're winning. Why would I do that? So I stayed on the pitch. And what this team has sussed out by now is kick the ball to him. He can't catch it. Not realizing that actually catching was fine. I can always catch a ball. You know, and I'd always had to learn how to track the ball through the sun because I wasn't great at that. So I'd been working on that. So actually, I ended up doing all sorts of crazy stuff. I did some one-arm catches, caught it on the chest. When they kicked it to me once, I just volleyed it straight back to them, which people didn't really expect. But it, all skills I'd been practicing. But I, in my head, I knew that whatever it took, I was going to stay on that pitch. I may not have an amazing game, but I was still going to give it everything I had because I didn't want to let the team down. Now, I'm going to be brutally honest here. I don't know if Simone Biles had a, a mental health incident, yes or no. I don't think there's enough data. I'm happy to believe that there was something there. You know, and I feel for her on that, on, on that human level. Of course I do. If that was my daughter, that's how I'd feel. I also feel for the USA team. Because there were women in that team who knew that this was their only hope of a gold medal. This was their chance to be someone in Kansas City, in Dallas, Texas, in San Diego, in Miami, in Albuquerque. This was their one chance to have a gold medal they could take to their old school and inspire the next generation. This was the one chance they could take a gold medal home and have a parade. This was their one chance to be a winner on the biggest stage of them all. And it was taken from them. Because the person they looked to for leadership 
went missing when they needed her. So I feel for the fellow teammates who, you know, they were having dreams about being a gold medalist and, and those dreams have gone. Simone Biles can still be a gold medalist because she hasn't withdrawn from the Olympics. So on that level, the sportsman in me says, if you pulled out the team event, don't do the individual. Just have, have the respect to say, I stopped people getting a gold medal. What right do I have to have one? But, you know, that's just an opinion. Don't, don't construe that as fact. I just feel more comfortable. If you're not going to do one, don't do anything. If you really have to rehab mentally, cool. But you can't rehab mentally in the environment that seems to have triggered it. So why aren't you home now? When are you going to go home and heal and recover? But I'm not going to lambast her and slaughter her for, for you know, all kinds of things. Because no one... No one asked Simone Biles if she wants to be the greatest of all time. And I know people are going to pull up the fact that she had a leotard with a goat on it. But she was never a goat. Even in gymnastics, she's not a goat because she's not good on the vault. Well, actually, no, she is. Take that back. She's not good on the beam and she's not good on the asymmetric bars. You know, to be a goat, like, you've got to be able to compete in those. She had a very defined lane at four foot eight and about 48 kilograms. She knew if she could just get herself off the ground explosively, she could do anything in the air because she had the size to pull that off. But the downside about having that size is you, you don't have the same longevity as someone else, for example. You, it, just does, it doesn't seem to work that way. Just like in boxing, the little guys have shorter careers. Gymnasts have very short careers, and the smaller they are, the shorter the career is. Maybe this was an Olympics too far for her. And she realized that. They talk about this thing called the twisties that gymnasts get where you just can't control your body. You're, you're, you're inverted in midair, you're spinning, you don't know whether you should keep spinning or whether you should stop spinning, and in the end you do nothing. And then actually you can really injure yourself. And that might be what happened with Simone. Suddenly, everything that seemed effortless and instinctive, she needed to think about. The pressure got to her. She overthanked things. It happens. But we don't want to equate that to you know, manic depressive episodes where you don't see someone for like two or three years. We don't want to do that because we have to, we have to equate our response with the true cause. And I don't know what the true cause is at the moment. I'm just going off what's available in the media. So what I know for certain is her teammates may never win a gold at the Olympics. She might do. Her teammates won't. And that's something she'll have to live with. But then there's a wider conversation we also need to have as a society. So the problem I have with all of these conversations is... You expect me to apply mere mortal standards to athletes when things go wrong. But when things go right, they're Superman, they're Superwoman, they're the greatest of all time, they're this, they're that. And I don't think that's right, and I don't think it's fair on them. If, if we're going to pay you millions as fans, and that's what we do, we're buying you. You're a commodity. So for me, Simone Biles is a commodity. I don't know her as a person, therefore I have no interest in Simone Biles as a person. I actually don't. 
But once this Olympics is done, she'll go about her business. I'll go about watching what I like, enjoy watching. So I consumed Simone Biles as an athlete. And as an athlete, she was poor. In the bits we saw her, she was poor. In her leaving her teammates, in my opinion, she was poor. Now, you roll Simone Biles down to a, a London club gymnast who I'm watching on a Sunday. I have all the sympathy in the world. Because that makes it human, that makes it more relatable. And it's not, it's not perfect, and people will disagree with this, and I, I can understand why they would. But when it comes to sport, we're buying a commodity. And that's why they're fabulously well-paid, and that's why they have the endorsement deals. Because the endorsement companies are buying a commodity too. That commodity has to deliver on demand. That's what the money's for. That's why Jordan has his own, I mean, his own sneakers, as they call them. That's why Kobe's considered one of the all-time greats, because you show up even when you don't want to, because you understand that you, the person, is cool, but in a sporting context, it's you, the commodity. And we transition this into boxing. Tyson Fury beat Vladimir Klitschko. We wanted to see him consolidate that because we were buying into that commodity. You are now the man at the top of the sport. You go and fight Wilder. What happened instead? He went missing. For like two and a half years, he went missing. And we hear depression and we hear this and we hear that and probably a lot of that's true. And to give him his due, he came back and he fought the scariest man in the division twice. And then he flattered to deceive again when we wanted him to do something else. And we put this pressure on Tyson Fury, not because we like or hate him as a human being. It's because he's the man in the division. He's the commodity in the division. He has to do these things for the sport. I don't think there's a debate around that. And I wish, I wish more fans were honest about this. Anthony Joshua is a person not that bothered. As a commodity, yeah, I'll watch him against Usyk. I'm not that bothered about Usyk either. So I, I don't imbue human qualities into them because I don't, I don't engage with them as human beings. They, they're entertainers to me. And where you're not entertaining, you're a problem to me. So I just turn you off. Because you know, Fury grifted off the mental health thing for ages, long after, you're like, hmm. yeah, but that didn't, that didn't encourage you to take Nandrolone, did it? Let's be honest. And there are all sorts of things that when you look back and you say, a lot of guys have grifted off this, and it's not just boxing, all these other sports. But as fans, we need to say, do we care about these people as human beings, yes or no? And if we do, cool, be human. Don't take the millions that you're earning. That, that's the harsh reality that comes with putting yourself in the public domain. You're going to get people who consume you as a commodity. And once they've paid their money, they say, I will engage with you how I want to engage with you. And I think Simone Biles is feeling a bit of that at the moment. I don't think people dislike her. I don't think people are dismissive of how she feels mentally. But what they're saying is, I didn't buy into Simone Biles a person. I don't care about Simone Biles a person. You should be out there doing quadruple somersaults. And right now you're not. And that's garbage to me. And that's someone's opinion. And it kind of makes sense. 
So in all of this, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. It just depends on how you view your athletes. If they're a commodity, then they get what they get. They're paid handsomely for it. If you view them as human beings, then you can't elevate them to being greats or superhuman or miracle workers. They're human beings just like you doing a job. And then you afford them the same level of respect based on that. But we can't have it both ways. You can't be a superstar on the way up and then go, I'm just like you on the way down. Like We're not buying that anymore. Yeah, I hope Simone Biles finds happiness, by all means. I hope Tyson Fury finds happiness. But in a sporting context, if you can't show up and perform, then fans have every right to complain and to be upset. God, I guess I should get into some boxing. So just a quick summary of Joe Joyce versus Carlos Takam. Worrying performance by Joe. I think Joe's got to realize that he can't just walk everyone down. Like You're going to take some significant punishment just by taking steps forward. And the problem Joe has is he's not taller than the guys holding the belts at the moment. And he's not taller than the guys who probably threaten him the most, i.e. Hergovic and Tony Oka. Had he fought like that against Tony Oka, he'd have got hurt badly. Had he fought like that against Philip Hergovic, he'd have got hurt badly. And it was worrying that Takam could land at will. A 40-year-old Carlos Takam could land at will. You never sensed that at 40 years old he could sustain it for the whole fight. But Joe's not getting any younger. So this time next year, Joe's capabilities aren't going to be what they are this year. So would you want to be going into a fight with Fury and Joshua with the poorest defense? Probably not. And Joe could do more by doing less. Like literally just the ability to cover up take a couple of shots, and then hit, hit them with the juggernaut, and then cover up again. That's what would sap someone's soul. Takam enjoyed that fight because he always felt he could land his shots. Was a stoppage premature? Yes. But what, what were you saving Takam for? Was he going to land a haymaker? Nope. So what were you really saving him for? I, I never know when you, want to st- when you want to stop a fight. Is it when there's no point in carrying on? Or is it when a fighter can't carry on? One is more dangerous than the other, so you've got to pick your poison wisely. But as for Joe, could Joe win a world title? Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to need a lot of focus, a lot of planning, and you need a more experienced team around you. Um, I don't think Sam Jones is really the guy to, to be guiding you to that place. I think Sam's great for making a lot of noise. But you need someone behind the scenes that can bring that structure, organization, and focus to proceedings. I think Joe's missing that at the moment. Sometimes you just need a wise old head in the camp for that guidance. That's just my, my view on the thing. But we'll see. The other thing I started to wonder was, would you put Daniel Dubois in with Carlos Takam? Didn't really answer the question. It's just the thought that came into my mind watching Joe Joyce. Because that might be a good test to see where Daniel Dubois is. I just want to talk about Matchroom for a bit. Like, we're into fight week for the first fight camp event, which is, I think it's Conor Ben versus Adrian Granados, which, not a bad fight for Conor, actually. I think Granados is a guy that won't come to lie down, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's actually any good. And we'll come on to the fights in a second, but if we just look at the, the big picture, this is the least interesting Matchroom fight week I can think of since 
or probably even before the prize fighter days, to be honest with you. It's just flat. Now, I know, <laughs> I know they had their event at St. Pancras last night or the night before. I have no idea. And what I find really interesting is that they're trying to buy off the, the podcasters and the blogs. And the problem they have is they have no way of measuring who's really got clout in the podcast world. Because I saw the people they had there. And I don't think they have the reach that people assume they do. And that's all I'll say on that. They're not, they're not people who drive opinions in terms of boxing fans. Like, if I was Eddie, I would have just bought Porky off and said, mate, come down to the live event. Even if it meant that you had to do an interview with him. Porky, he, he has people who follow him that will happily try and bring down the Matchroom Empire. I think some of these other outlets are basically pro-matchroom already. So you haven't actually bought additional territory for that. But it was, it was embarrassing to see people shucking and jiving for Hearn, having previously criticized him and been quite harsh on him. But then it's the paradox, isn't it? It's their job to give him a kicking. It's his job to be a promoter. So I can't be mad when people kind of meet up and have a few drinks together and maybe pose for pictures. Now, if you jump over to the other side and you become pro matchroom, you make yourself a target. So you've got to decide what you are in the sport, man. Are you, are you for the institution? Or are you for the fans? But it was, yeah, so you saw a lot of that. You saw this odd mixture. And here, here's the weird thing about where matchroom seem to be headed. It's a mixture of jobs for the boys, Chris Lloyd, Darren Bark, and all that. People who aren't that talented, but they've kind of just hung around long enough and been loyal, right? And then there's that, the, the bit of Matchroom slash zone that seems to be spreadsheet-driven or business case-driven. So they've, they've literally looked at metrics and said, well, these podcasts are doing this much in terms of numbers. Um, yeah, let's get them on side and we will, we'll dangle trinkets in front of them, not realizing that's not how this game works, man. It's not about how many fans you have. It's about how many of those fans can actually make things happen. I think they misjudged that. They've misjudged it with their presenting team. I don't believe Maya Gemma and Laura Woods are what they needed. And there's a simple reason behind that. It, it seems like Eddie woke up one day and said, maybe there are 50 million people in the United Kingdom that aren't aware that there's a sport called boxing and that I'm involved in it. Maybe after a decade of shamelessly selling my soul, maybe there's still a large proportion of this population that don't know who I am. And if I do it my way, I'll get to those 50 million people that Sky couldn't get to. And I think what's happened is he's realized, actually, I did need Sky. Because when you take everything in-house, that means you're accountable for everything. So that's why you won't see Hearn doing that many interviews because he's got to run around now and make sure everything's perfect. You, know, you have a launch party. Hearn's got to make sure it's perfect, on brand, aligned to what he's trying to do. That's got to be exhausting. Sky took a lot of the headache away from him. You know, maybe he construed that as being them trying to control him. No, it's like, mate, we want to leave you to sell the fight. We don't want you to do anything else other than sell the fight and maximize the reach. And you realize that when Hearn's not talking, Matchroom are effectively dead. That's it. When Eddie Hearn's not talking, Matchroom are dead. They don't have anyone else to take the slack. And they don't seem to have a clue in how to do that. 
So I expect Granada's versus Ben to be a dud. I'm hoping that they have good weather, though, because I don't wish that on anyone. I'm hoping they have good weather, but I expect it to be a dud from a fan engagement perspective, from an overall experience. I just expect it to be a dud. And I think we'll all come to the conclusion Hearn was better with Sky than without Sky. And we'll have a newfound respect for Sky. Because in terms of the card, I'm not, I'm not anti the card. Ben Granados is okay for where both men are at in their careers. Bidham Smith versus Tommy McCarthy has the potential to be a hell of a fight, actually. And that's what I'm looking for. That, that might be the sleeper bout of the evening. Buzzing for Sandy Ryan. Um, I think Sandy Ryan might be the, the dark horse in women's boxing. The one that we haven't really factored in. Because you have to remember, she's from a boxing family. So she's got those neurons and the, the kind of cultural awareness to understand what she has to do in the ring. Like her, like her a lot. Class act as a, as a boxer, as a lady. I've met her a couple of times and I'm, I'm a big fan of Sandy Ryan. So I'm looking forward to that. I don't even know who else is on. Anthony Fowler's on. I, I just want him to get some momentum. Just give him the, the British fights that he wants. And let's see how good he really is. But no, I'm quite happy to see what Fowler does. I'm not, like I said, I'm not anti the card. It's just not what I would have had as an opening gambit in a new era. But maybe Hearn knows something we don't. Now, in terms of Joshua versus Usyk, I just hope it's vaccine passports for that. Because then we'll find out how important boxing is to some people. But no, I'm not going to tell people don't tune in on Saturday. I think it's a card worth watching if you can get it without paying. I don't know how you do that. Some people say it's possible. I couldn't possibly comment. But it's a decent card. It'll occupy some time. Um, in terms of the Olympics, keep tracking Ben Whitaker, Lauren Price, and Karis Artingstall, by all means. Pat McCormack as a side story, if he can pull through. And then in terms of Simone Bile, mental health and sport, listen. People have achieved a lot more feeling a lot worse. Like, I think, I think we've given people an easy out in a lot of these situations. But then also, I look at what happened to Frank Bruno in retirement, and I say what do you do and I'm not saying I have the answer to that what I'm saying is there has to be a discussion that isn't about you're mentally weak or all victims should be believed we have to have certain standards we expect of our elite athletes and they have to fulfill those and if they don't cool we're just not going to call you elite and we might ridicule you that's just how it works and on that note I'm going to tap out because the sun is shining and the weather is sweet but no, as, as I always say, if you enjoy the content, share it with one other friend that needs a clear-headed view of boxing. You guys take care. Bye. good husband you know what I mean what you know what I mean? I'm just a man out here trying to enjoy my I, I was born poor I ain't never had nothing man. I don't know how to act all right but the real thing is I'm just I'm just here to be me I don't care what uh, you, you know what I am or who, or who anyone thinks I am um, at this stage of my life but um yeah I'm a pretty much of a tyrant titan yeah that's who I am